Good morning, Seven Mile Road. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, if we have not had a chance to meet, I, I'm sorry for that. Um, thankful over the last three months being here, I've been able to meet quite a few of you, so I am thankful for that. But my name is Tyler Ballou. I serve here as the Director of Equipping, and I have the task in front of uh, myself and us to go through Jonah chapter 2. So we are in a series, uh, Jonah, Jonah 1 last week, 2 this week, 3, 4 subsequent weeks, really diving into this thought and idea of what happens when we are on a journey into God's missionary heart. We believe that the God that we love and serve is, on a, is a missionary God. He's after people that he loves. So what happens when we encounter that journey? And uh, that is what we are going to be continuing on today. I am a newer dad. I've uh, got two boys, twins. Uh, my house is smelly and fun and loud. Uh, they're almost 18 months, and I think I have a picture up here. Yep, there they are. Uh, I'm probably standing in the way. Um, I think they're pretty cute, and I, but judging the sound, you do too, which I'm thankful for. <laughs> uh, this is a, the wagon from their first birthday, and they love going outside and doing all sorts of things, and um, it's a lot of fun in the Blue households. Uh, a lot of tired nights when I put them to bed <laughs> as well. One of the most surprising realities for me as a new dad is how I already have a certain path for their life laid out. Uh, I don't know if you're a parent in here. If you are, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, for all of you who have a relationship with your parent and talk with your parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about as well. <laughs> uh, their parents have a certain path for your life, and I already have a certain path for my boys' lives. Uh, this is evident in even our book choices. I think I have a picture here of my son Shepard. I don't know if you can see the <laughs> picture here. Uh, you can almost make out behind him a couple of other books as well. So uh, blockchain for babies. I think there's electromagnetism behind that one. Uh, ABCs of engineering. This one's really, when we saw this, we laughed because two years before they were even a thought, we were like, we want our kids to be engineers. Uh, that seems right and safe and good for them. So we're going to do that. And uh, so we got them these books. So far, their most favorite right now is organic chemistry for babies. Yes, that's their reading. Uh, because as you open the book, it's just literally circles. So they think it's balls. And it literally is, hey, this is a ball. And this ball sticks together with this ball. And I won't go into organic chemistry here, but uh, this, is, this is a little taste of a certain path that I have in mind for them. Now, I'm not saying that what I'm doing is necessarily wrong or that I shouldn't do that. I think it's good to expose them to different things. But where it can get a little off, and I think where we see Jonah as we're picking up with him in chapter two, and I think what we experience in our own lives is that when our all but certain path begins to rule our own life, like, there's no way that I can exit my all but certain path, either left or right. It is the way that it is. Even when I encounter the ways of God, the words of God, God, no matter what you're saying to me, I am on a certain path and I am not deviating, even if, as I hear your word, it is in the opposite direction. This is where we get into trouble. This is where I'm sure as you've felt in your own life, I've felt in my own life, this certain path that we are finding ourselves on. It's a well-worn path, is it not? Where our day-to-day -day step, one after another, has rubbed the stones of these paths really smooth because we cannot help but keep walking in this direction. Now, to be fair, some of us here, that certain, all-but-certain path is maybe not of our choosing. 
for a lot of things, for me, for my own life, a lot of things occurred in my formative years that just I'm on an autopilot and I take one step at a time and most often my all but certain path ends up in a place I don't really want to be in half the time. For some of us, for a lot of us, as I've gotten to know you, Seven Mile Road, you are on your 20-year plan. And this is not bad. I'm not, I'm not throwing shade at it. I'm just telling you, like, I know as I've met you, like, this has been my, since I was this little, this has been my path and plan for my life. And the trouble that we get on is that our all but certain path, if it rules our hearts and our affections, if it rules our worship, how we interact with God, with each other, with the world around us, then we are beginning to look a lot like Jonah. You see, I don't know if you figured this out from last week with Jonah 1, Jonah 2, Jonah 3, Jonah 4. Jonah is not the hero of the story, and the writer of Jonah is trying to show us that we are Jonah. So I'll just out the front gate, let you know that this is the reality of what we're reading right now. So Jonah's all but certain path where we left him, he was uh, flailing in a turbulent storm and sea. Pagan sailors had thrown him overboard. They didn't want to, but they knew that they needed to, so they did it. And Jonah is literally drowning. His all but certain path is one of death and drowning and despair. This is where Jonah is right now. This is where we are picking up today. You see, our all but certain paths, if it rules our every fiber of our being, our thought, our love, our care, every relationship, how we interact in the world, if our all but certain path is that case, our all but certain destination is very similar to Jonah's. You might even be feeling that right now. Relationships with coworkers, relationships with students, relationships with patients, relationships with my kids, relationships with my spouse, with my significant other It just feels like I'm in a storm and I cannot get out of it. This all but certain path, and I don't know where it's going to end, but it doesn't feel like it's going to end well. The good news of Jonah 2 today is that the all but certain path that we find ourselves on is going to be interrupted by God's appointed path. This is what we're going to see in Jonah 2, that our all but certain path that we are on, that we feel like we can't get out of, it is going to be interrupted by God's appointed path. And we're going to see how that works out. Look with me here, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Sidebar, I'm going to discuss the great fish in a little bit. (laughs) So hang with me on this. But the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So a couple of observations here. How do we know that God's Uh, pointed path is going to interrupt our all but certain path. Well, the first reality is he's going to interrupt us through his hand of mercy. I don't know if you can see it here. For me, when I think of Jonah, I grew up in the church ever since I was about five years old. I have experience with church. So I remember hearing about Jonah and the fish often. It felt like the moral of the story for Jonah and the fish for me was if you disobey God, a fish is going to eat you. Like that was the reality of what I thought. I was like, oh man, if I, if I don't do what my parents tell me, like that means I'm disobeying God. And that means a fish is going to literally jump into my living room and eat me. And I didn't want to do that. But the reality of what the text is actually telling, that's not the case. You see, the first word, one of the first words that we see here in verse 17 is, and the Lord appointed. This word appointed shows up in Jonah four times, and every time it shows up in Jonah, it is trying to, uh, to show us, to tell us that God's power to accomplish his will, his will is unyielding. 
God's power to accomplish his will for Jonah's life, for your life, for my life, is literally unyielding. God will do whatever it takes to come after his wayward people. God appointed his power is unyielding and in so doing a great fish to swallow up Jonah. This is a hand of mercy. God is going to interrupt our all but certain paths first through his hand of mercy. The fish in this instance is a hand of mercy. It's a vehicle of unbelievable mercy because Jonah, what was he going to do? He was going to drown and die. His disobedience led him to this place. His all but certain path took him here and his outcome, his, the output of his life was going to be death. But God's hand of mercy comes along, swims along, and snatches him. I have a picture here uh, to kind of show you. I was trying to, I don't know if you guys can see this, maybe you can. I was trying to get an idea, you know, because all that was in my mind with Jonah and the fish was like a kid's Bible, which isn't bad. I don't want to scare kids. Like I don't want my kids to be scared, but like, like imagine yourself for a second in Jonah's shoes. You are in the ocean. Like the waves are going back and forth. And all of a sudden, you don't see a cartoony looking fish coming to get you. You see a sea monster literally coming up. And that doesn't look or feel a lot like God's hand of mercy. And that's what happens with us so often. What ends up happening for us is we stop looking at the surrounding circumstances of our life and instead we look to the hand of mercy of God and sometimes it feels really uncomfortable and really scary and instead we're like, God, that's the problem. Not all of this other stuff. Not all of the certain path that I'm on. Not the steps that I took to get here. Not how my sin and disobedience may have gotten me here. It's not those things. Instead, God, it's your vehicle of mercy that's, that's actually the problem here. See, God's hand of mercy is appointed a couple other observations about God's hand of mercy, and in particular how that's interrupting our all but certain path here, is that it also intervenes at the most urgent time. And it's helpful for us to understand the definition of mercy. Mercy, if I could give you a summary sentence that you could walk out of here, mercy is we do not get what we deserve. Mercy is you do not get what you deserve. Mercy is that you steal something from the supermarket and your parents go and make you give it back, but you don't go to jail for stealing that. That's mercy. Mercy is you do not get what you deserve. So God's hand of mercy is appointed. His power is unyielding and accomplishing his will with this. He also intervenes at the most urgent hour to accomplish his will. And it intervenes at the most urgent hour to accomplish his will, not your will. Why did God save Jonah in this? Because he has a group of people in Nineveh that he wants to hear about him. Yes, God cares deeply about Jonah and as he's on this missionary heart, but he's a wayward prophet. He's being disobedient. God is swallowing him up in a fish at this moment so that he can go back and do what he told him to do to accomplish his will, not Jonah's will, not your will, not my will. God's hand of mercy is peculiar. Can I just say that a fish, like, it does, I mean, it's creative, God. <laughs> but like a fish, I mean, this often, when I'm talking with people who are far from God or faith, they question the validity of what we believe because of this story in particular. But God's hand of mercy is not meant to cause us just to believe. It's meant to save us and rescue us. And it's very peculiar. It's different. It's, it's 
It's weird. God, in all of his wisdom and power, could have just transported Jonah straight to Nineveh. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he intervened at his most urgent time. It was appointed. It was his full power in doing it. It was a little peculiar. And the final observation I make about his hand of mercy is that it provided time for Jonah's heart to change. Did you see this? He was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Yes, he definitely took, he was a good ways out when the storm hit, but it provided time for Jonah, for his heart to change. And how we know that that's happening is because Jonah's all but certain path, yes, it's interrupted by God, through God's hand of mercy, but it's also interrupted through his prayerless life turned to prayer. Do you see this in chapter 2, verse 1? Then Jonah prayed. Jonah, as we see in chapter 1, he is not prayerful. He is not, uh, he's not, he's not liking God right now. God calls him to go to Nineveh from where he is. It's about 500 miles in another direction. He decides to go 2,500 miles in the complete opposite direction on the edge of the map. And he doesn't say a word to God about it. He just goes. God provided, his hand of mercy provided him time for his heart to change. And we see a little snippet of this because finally, after three days and three nights, arguably the worst week of his life, Jonah opens his mouth and begins to pray. Before we jump into the prayer, Seven Mile Road is, I've been thinking about this in my own life as I've been praying for you. The phrase that keeps coming to my mind is, mercy received is mercy given. You know, we talk every, every, every gathering, we talk about God's redemptive story, how we want to embody and declare this to every Houstonian. We talk about how we want to love neighbors and we want to share the good news of Jesus to those that we love and care for. But the reality for us is that God's hand of mercy in your life, how you have received that is going to directly equate and correlate to how you are giving mercy to others around you. The super opinionated family member at dinner that you don't want to talk to, but you know that they're going to bring up something that you don't like, how are you giving them mercy? How are you treating them in a way they don't deserve in that moment? What about the coworker who's like constantly gossiping about you, <laughs> who's constantly causing strife and turmoil and making your life really miserable where it's at? The grace you've received, how are you giving it to them? Are you giving it in a place, in a, in a way, in a, in a vehicle that is, they don't deserve it, but you're giving it to them? Spouse and kids, oh my goodness, how much I often in my own life do not uh, experience the mercy I've received and then give it in the way that I've received it. Instead, I want to take judgment into my own hands. Very similar to Jonah's problem, God gave him three days and three nights in the belly of a fish to change his heart, to begin changing his heart, to begin recognizing, Jonah, you need to experience my mercy so that you can go give my mercy. Seven Mile Road, if we are going to be a merciful people, we must see God's hand of rescue in our life. We must see God's hands of mercy in our life, that he has not treated us the ways in which we have deserved to be treated that he meets us in our weakness with love and with grace. He meets us in our, in, our, in our folly with wisdom and with direction. He meets us where we are often not meant to go to redirect us and to change our hearts. He interrupts our all but certain path through his hand of mercy and through his prayerless life turned to prayer. Through his prayerless life turned to prayer. 
So we see Jonah, he's fine. Then Jonah prayed. Then finally Jonah prayed. The three days and three nights kind of language here, the motif here. If you were to look and study at ancient Near East writing, anytime three days and three nights would come up, the way that the readers of Jonah way back when, the way that they would have heard this is that Jonah went through a journey. Jonah went through a journey that was from death, certain death, back to life. The expectation of the readers would have been that Jonah was changed by this, that literally death, he was on the precipice of death in life, fading in and out, and he would have been changed by this reality. Have you noticed as we were reading it, as we're thinking through this, if we were to go through and tease apart each and every prayer, uh, part of this prayer, that Jonah doesn't pray for rescue? Jonah doesn't pray for rescue here. His prayers instead, his now prayerful life, whereas before he was silent, he would not pray to God because he didn't want to pray to God and he didn't believe that God deserved his prayers in that moment. Instead, now it's turned into, okay, I'm going to pray and it's marked by what? A prayer of thanksgiving, but also a prayer of lament, a prayer of despair, a prayer filled with hope, but despair, a prayer filled with death and with life. It is an honest, although imperfect, prayer. It's a real, from the heart, Jonah prayer. His life has now turned from prayerless to prayerful. And this is interrupting his all but certain path. This is part of the interruption for him. God's hand of mercy rescued him. Now God's hand of mercy that's rescued him has moved his life from a prayerless one to a prayerful one. What we see from uh, Martin Luther the father of the Protestant Reformation, he says this about prayer. He says, we must feel our need. The distress that drives and impels us to cry out, then prayer will come spontaneously as it should and no one will, be need to, no one will need to be taught how to prepare for it or how to create the proper devotion. I just, I don't want us to miss this. So I want to, I want to read it again for you. We must feel our need. This is Martin Luther, father of the Protestant Reformation, 1600s, on prayer. We must feel our need, the distress that drives and impels us to cry out. Then prayer will come spontaneously as it should, and no one will need to be taught how to prayer for it or how to create the proper devotion. The devotion here that he's talking about is you won't have to figure out how to make time for this. You won't need someone to necessarily say, hey, this is, this is how you do this. When we feel our need, that drives us to prayer. Jonah, how in the world did he get from prayerless to prayerful? He's in the belly of a fish for three days. <laughs> he was drowning, then he was rescued, but he was rescued in a super peculiar way. God's mercy wasn't the exact way that he wanted it to be in that moment, but it was there and it was purposeful and it was appointed to accomplish God's will, not Jonah's will, and it changed his heart. It began changing his heart. And we see that. Jonah felt his need. Now, when I say this seven mile road, I don't say this, oh, I've been begging God that it doesn't come out shame-inducing or guilt-inducing. This is just an observable fact of my own life. So let me start with me. I don't feel needy very much, like physically. Like I live in a home that has four bedrooms and three baths. God in his grace has given me what I need to put food on the table, both between my wife and I for our kids, 
God has provided for my, that they have clothes, they have diapers, they have diaper wipes, they have toys galore from all of the, fa- we never bought them any toys, just the books. <laughs> and just from the family that's loved us and cared for us. Like we don't, day to day, I would not tell you that I am a needy man, physically, in the most physical state of that word. So when I say this, when I say that for your all but certain path, that either you're trying to run away from God or you wish you could turn to God, but you can't because this 20-year path is like here and I gotta keep taking step by step, how it's interrupted through a prayerless life turned prayerful, we have to feel needy because we are needy. We are desperately, desperately needy people. And that is hard in the inner loop of Houston to recognize and feel that. So if I were to tell you in any way, shape, or form, if your life is marked by prayerlessness, I would start there. Do you characterize yourself as a needy person? One of the most impactful things that has happened to my life was last fall. No, sorry, not last fall. (laughs) Uh, It feels that close. It's about three falls ago. I was reminded of some trauma from the past. Trauma as a kid, formation. And I can tell you, for me, that is God's hand of mercy, that that reminder. That was God's hand of mercy in my life. Because every single day, the way I interact with my kids, the way I interact with my wife, the way I interact with you, the way I interact with other staff, the way that I interact with neighbors is marked by a neediness that I don't know how to function relationally with others. But God, you do, and I need you. Even though I'm not physically needy, by the grace of God, I am desperately emotionally needy. I am spiritually needy. And God in his hand of mercy interrupted my all but certain path. I had a mentor tell me once that Tyler, if it were not for God's grace and mercy, someone who's experienced that trauma, you'd either be in jail on some kind of substance or just not here anymore. And for me, the neediness of this has been a rich mercy from God, and it has moved my life from prayerlessness to prayerfulness. Now, not all the time. (laughs) There are seasons where I am still prayerless, but Seven Mile Road, as we even just talked about prayer before we got going with worship, as we are dreaming about wanting to be alongside God's missionary heart, I do not want you either individually or us communally to be a prayerless people. And for some of us, we are not fully experiencing yet God's mercy, hand of mercy, and that's causing us to be prayerless, or we've just given up. We're, we're prayerless now because it's like, God, you haven't changed my circumstance. I'm still in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and so I, I can't do this anymore. Whatever the reason, what I would say to you is, as you identify God's hand of mercy in your life, and as you begin to pray, don't stop praying, even if you don't know the perfect prayers even if you've given up hope, even if you can't see the outcome, even if you feel like you can't get outside a certain path, don't stop praying. And we as a body are here to pray alongside you. Come to prayer meeting. If you have a prayerless life, come. And it's not because I want all of us there or I'm trying to grow a prayer meeting. To be honest with you, I would enjoy a Wednesday evening once a month with my family. But I recognize that I need this. 
We need this. If we are a prayerless people, then we will not know how much we need our God. God's all but certain path, his appointed path for us will interrupt our all but certain path through his hand of mercy and through his prayerless, through our prayerless life being turned to prayer. Also through our transformative experiences. As we, I think I have it up here, uh, Jonah chap, uh, chapter 2 verse 2 through the first half of 6. A couple of highlights here. So Jonah prays saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me and all your waves and billows passed over me. The waters, down to verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. Very bottom of uh, verse 6, bars closed upon me forever. This feels like an incredibly transformative experience for Jonah. In his honest prayer, he is saying, this is what this feels like. And for a lot of us, as we talked about our empty religion last week, for a lot of us, this type of prayer is very hard for our minds to get around. It's like, can I pray that to God? <laughs> like, can I actually say this to God? Like, Yes, this is in the Bible. We just read it like we can pray this deeply, this intimately with God. Because our transformative experiences, I think the next slide, I have a couple different highlights here. Let's move to this next one real quick. Jonah chapter two. Because you heard my voice, verse two. Did you catch it? In our transformative experiences, in the darkest parts of our stories, Sheol, that's here in this, it means grave, underworld, death. It's the deepest part. It's, it's imagery language-wise to try to get to the very deepest part of the earth. Like, you can't come back from this. In those parts of your stories, in those parts of your present life right now, God is there. God, you heard my voice. God is there. God is meeting you there. Not only is God meeting you there, I'm going to say a bold claim here from Jonah chapter 2. Verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your waves and your billows passed over me. Not only is God there with you, able to meet with you in your most deepest, darkest parts of your story, in the most transformative experiences of who you are, God is also sovereign over everything in it. And I share that on the tail end of sharing with you the realities of trauma and formation in my own life. That God was sovereign over every aspect of that. That he was in control of every aspect of that. Some of you hear that and it's like, that's way too close right now (laughs) in the sense of I don't know that I could view God in that way. I would simply ask you the question, if you were in a sea, storm-tossed in the belly of a fish, who would you want to be in control of all of that? Would you want yourself? Would you want yourself on your all-but-certain path and the decisions that you're making to step-by-step going where you're going, going where that final destination is taking you? Or would you instead want the sovereign creator God who is merciful and gracious and loving and compassionate that's on his business card for us? Would you want him in control of this? I can tell you for me personally, as I have dealt with all of the pain of my story and all of the realities in the darkest, deepest 
parts of who I am and parts of what, what God was allowing in that moment, I, without question or without hesitation, would rather have God in control of every aspect of that than myself or people outside of that. Anytime. This is good news. This is why this experience is transformative. The last observation I would make about a transformative experience here is something from Psalm 69, verses 1 through 3, which I have up here. Psalm 69, 1 through 3. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out and my throat is parched. This is a psalm and a prayer from David. But I feel so uniquely knit to Jonah and Jonah's experience and so uniquely knit to my own experience. I think to a lot of your experiences, when you're on this all but certain path, it feels like you're crying out and you're like, God, save me, save me, save me. But it doesn't come. What I would say is to model our prayers a little bit more like Jonah here, how often when you are praying, how often in this transformative experience are you praying to God versus to your God? See the subtle difference? How often in your experiences, in your transformative experiences, are you like, God, God, why, 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 why aren't you taking this away? Like, what? Do you see the difference when I say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The personal nature of that prayer versus a very impersonal nature, very transactional reality. I think so often you and I know how to commoditize our transformative experiences. We know how to go to God and commoditize these realities, to make them transactional, to say, God, because you didn't do this, I'm now going to do this. Or because you have done this, I'm going to do this. But instead, to come very honestly, very deeply with God and ask him, my God, my God, why? God is there in that place, in that transformative experience. And he's walking you there. And he gets us to the climax of this interruption. God has been interrupting our all but certain path through his hand of mercy, through a prayerless life turned to prayer, through our transformative experiences, and then ultimately through salvation. And we see it at the tail end of verse 6. Yet you, God, brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Jonah is breaking out into thanksgiving. His all but certain path has been interrupted God, he recognizes God's hand of mercy in the fish. He recognizes how it's now transformed. His heart changed his heart from prayerless to prayerful. He's recognizing that this is a transformative experience meant to change him, not meant to harm him. That God in his sovereignty is meeting him there and loving him there. And he's like crying out, God, you saved me. You brought me up from the pit. How did he get here? Focus in on this word, verse 7. When my life was fainting away, it's a summary of everything we just said, when I was at the, when I was at the worst of it, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. This word remembered, this word remembered literally means a focused attention. 
a focused attention. It's not scattered thought. It's not uh, pulling from all over different places. It's not, uh, you know, different aspects of uh, different maxisms or different, you know, little proverbs or different things like that. It's just a focused attention on what I remembered the Lord, capitalized Lord Yahweh, relational God for Jonah. I focused my attention on who God is when my life was fainting away and my prayer came to you. My prayer came to I focused my attention on who God is and now in light of that, I see who I am and I see that you are interrupting my all but certain path through salvation. The fish might seem like a strange hand of mercy from God. It might even seem impossible. I would counter to say that God's saving hand and grace in our life is really utterly impossible. All the way from the beginning pages of this book, starting in Genesis, it feels really impossible that a God who created everything out of nothing could do that. It feels really impossible that he could part a body of water so that a group of people being rescued could walk across. It feels really impossible that an entire nation, the powerhouse of the day, was brought to their knees by plagues. It feels really impossible that he would call out a dude named Abram to, uh, to go save the entire world through his descendants when they were hundreds of years old. They, they were too old to have kids. It seems really impossible that Jonah would be saved through this hand of mercy, that his heart would be changed, that his life would be changed through the belly of the fish, it is also really impossible that God's grace, him treating us in a way that we don't deserve, that that that, that would happen with a 2,000-year-old-ago Jewish carpenter. You see, what Jonah's been taking us through with this path to this prayer is this focused attention on who God is. God is a God of mercy. He treats us in the ways that we do not deserve to be treated. He's also a God of grace that we get what we don't deserve. And it feels impossible that this would be the case. And it is impossible because it's an interruption. And ultimately, Jesus is that interruption. You see, if you have a hard time believing that the fish here is real or not, you're gonna have a hard time being interrupted by Jesus. You're going to have a hard time being interrupted by a Jewish carpenter dying for his creation's sins and trespasses to be then raised to life three days later. You're going to have a hard time in this place. And I say this not from a place of shame or condemnation, but a place to say, wrestle with this. Because if it's true, your all but certain path is going to be interrupted. It's going to be interrupted through salvation Grace is what we get to have. Matthew 12, 40, Jesus says this often. He says, or he said this uh, in this particular place. He said, just like Jonah, he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I will be in the depths of the earth for three days and three nights. See, Jesus is our interruption. He is God's hand of mercy and rescue for you and I from our all but certain path, which is a series of choices up into death. Jesus is a prayerful man, not a prayerless man, all the way up to the point of his death. Even on the cross, he was praying to his God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's prayerful, not prayerless. Jesus, in every sphere of his life, showed mercy and grace and 
showed transformative experiences to those around him, so much so that when he's going through a crowd and a woman touches the hem of his garment, he literally is like, who touched me? Something happened here. Jesus is our interruption. Jesus is our salvation. And what he is doing for us is he's giving us a stark choice. Will you turn from your all but certain path? Will you turn from your all but certain path and will you admit that you need me? Will you believe that I have died for you and have risen for you? Will you confess me to be king and lord of your life? Your all but certain path will be interrupted if that is your prayer. For those of you who have known Jesus for a time, whether it be a few weeks, months, or years, maybe your whole life, Are you running the other direction from God's call? Is your all but certain path baked? And if God's word and ways came to you right now and were to change it, you would say no? You would go the opposite direction? I would say let Jesus interrupt you. Let Jesus interrupt you. Be interruptible. For those of you who are like, yes, Tyler, I would answer that. I would let Jesus interrupt me. Then I would say, pray to pray. Ask him in this moment, Jesus, would you interrupt me? Make it known to me what you're interrupting because I, my life is not my own. You've not treated me the way that I deserve to be treated. I get not what I deserve. Your mercy and grace are amazing and I have seen it and I have experienced it. My life is open. Whatever you say, I'll do. Your all but certain path can be interrupted, should be interrupted by God's appointed path. And Jesus is that appointed path. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you that your mercy and your grace are true. Thank you that your abounding and steadfast love for us. Thank you for this story of Jonah, a wayward prophet that we get to see in this moment is rescued. He's picked up by an impossible vehicle of grace and his heart is changed and transformed. God, I pray for those in this room who have wrestled with the claims of Jesus and are currently wrestling with them. Jesus, would you show how you are trying to interrupt their life, how you're breaking through in all the different areas Would you show them your hand of mercy? Would you show them your prayerful life and how they can model it after you? Would you show them all of the darkest parts of their story and all the present realities and future realities of what that means are redeemed in you and transformed by you, Jesus? Would you make yourself known? God, for those in this room who are following you but are running the opposite direction, God, interrupt them, please, I beg you. Interrupt them. Let them not get too far. Would you point them back to Jesus as their interruption and the goodness that you are for us, your life, your death, your resurrection, Jesus. How much they can love you. How much you've loved them. God, for those in this room that are willing, hands open, they're like, I I feel this hand of mercy. And yeah, I oscillate with prayerless life and prayerful life, but I want to be prayerful. And yeah, I see all of the dark spots and how they were transformed by Jesus. And I see his grace and how he saved me. 
God, would you interrupt them and would you speak so clear to them that if they were journaling this week, they would say, God told me to do this, that my certain path is interrupted. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Help us not lose sight of your appointed path for our life and how you interrupt us and guide us and direct us when we need it. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.